0: I'm your host, Jennifer Jellif-Russell. In today's episode, I'll be interviewing the awesome Dr. Jen Welter about her journey of getting into football and how she ended up playing for a professional football team, then being the first woman to coach in the NFL. All right, let's start with a personal update. So I've really been having a fun time in creating and recording the guided meditations for the end of the last episode. And then also as a standalone, as a Kofi product that you can actually purchase from my Kofi store. If you listen to them, I would love to hear what you guys think. I'm also planning on creating some extra episodes as content to put on the Ko-fi page for anyone who wants to support the show. This show is basically just a labor of love and I don't currently have any kind of you know, paid advertising or anything like that to keep it going. So instead I've joined you know some affiliate programs and I'll be providing more content on ko But even then, you know, this show is it's really more about getting the opportunity to talk to really awesome women and share those conversations with you listeners. So I'm also creating another podcast for my ever growth coach persona. And that one is about landing a job or leveling up at your place of employment or, you know, into another higher level position. And I plan to launch that one sometime in January. So I'll be doing more YouTube videos for that. And hopefully that will get me feeling a little bit more confident in creating video for this show as well. You know, I've Obviously, listeners, I I just need to really take my own advice and jump into making videos. Go find out, right? And I have been making a few reels after getting some nudges from other ladies in the podcasting industry, so I am going to be doing a lot more of those for this show as well. On the writing front, I did finally launch my new kid's book, A Christmas Tale and Other Magical Stories. So next up is doing some really heavy editing on the third book in the Artemis Necklace series. I've maybe been putting that off since I've been doing the NaNoWriMo Month, the national novel. Writing Month in November. And I I would so much rather, honestly, guys, I... I love writing first drafts, (laughs) and I really hate editing them, Um, and sometimes I have to like sit on a first draft for a little while before what I need to fix kind of materializes in my mind. So I've been sitting on that for about two months now, and it's about time for me to jump back into it, and that way I can get this new story about Vianne, the vampire and monster hunter, out into the world. Other than that, I am just readying for a quiet Christmas with my husband and our dogs, and I hope that all of you are able to have a great holiday as well. All right, let's get to the interview with the awesome Dr. Jen Welter. On today's show, I'll be interviewing Dr. Jen Welter, who has broken many sports barriers for women by being the first woman to coach in the NFL and the first woman to play on a men's professional football team. Prior to that, she had an awesome career in football, which included two gold medals with Team USA and four world championships. Now, Dr. Walter is paving the way for girls to achieve a sense of empowerment, self-confidence, and sisterhood through gridiron girls. Today, we'll be focusing on Dr. Walter's journey of breaking into coaching in the NFL and starting gridiron girls. Welcome to the show, Dr. Welter.
1: Hello. Thanks so much for having
0: me on. Yeah, I'm super stoked to have you here, and obviously, I just said a whole bunch of things about you. But can you can you tell me anything else or a little bit more about yourself? You know, I
1: I lovingly say I'm I'm a, a hustler who <laughs> likes to solve human puzzles. Being a woman in football meant that because there was no clear roadmap, Mm -hmm. I had to be multiple. And I think that that's so many of us. So as I was playing in my women's football career, I was also getting my PhD. And that's what you see as like kind of a lot of the things that are today. So as a women's football player, I had two gold medals with Team USA, four world championships, and was an eight-time pro bowler. Then joined the world of men's pro football in the most painful way possible. I actually played, <laughs> you know, and played with those guys for a year. And in the process, just really became a great teammate and found out that we had a lot more in common than we were different and it was playing with those guys that opened the door to coaching for me.
0: No, did you did you come from like a sports focused family?
1: My family's really active. I wouldn't say it's necessarily like sports focused, but like, you know, my parents both play tennis several times a week. My dad, you know, was a collegiate wrestler but then went into Vietnam and so Like being active is a part of who we are, but I don't know if it would be necessarily in the traditional sense that a lot of people would have said. Like everybody assumes I had, you know, a coach dad and big brothers, and actually, Mm -hmm. neither of those is the case. I had a race car driving veteran chiropractor dad, an artist mom, and one sister. So nice.
0: So, when did you first kind of catch the football bug? I caught
1: it, I think, like a lot of kids do in that looking at the game and just seeing it played and thinking like these were real life superheroes and I, and I wanted to be one, right? Like that's what high school football was to me. and And high school football was the biggest level of football in my hometown. And yet girls weren't able to play. And so it wasn't a reality of something that I could do. So it was kind of like it was that unrequited love. It was like a crush that I hoped would, you know, crush on me back one day, but ended up playing pretty much every other sport, you know, volleyball, soccer, softball, tennis, ran track in there at one point and started lifting weights when I was 14 years old because I was a scrawny little thing, (laughs) you know, then went to college and played collegiate rugby there because it was the closest I could get to football. Which was great though, because you learn how to tackle with no pads and no helmets. So then when you go into football it's like, oh Just makes complete
0: sense. And so we said you had this really awesome career in football before you even started on the men's football team. But when you did start on the men's professional football team, did you still get any like pushback from other people, friends, or family when you were working toward playing on the men's team?
1: Well, I wasn't working toward playing it, right? It wasn't a goal that I ever had. That's really important. Mm, You know, I'm five foot two, 130 pounds. People would ask me all the time if, like, you know, what's your goal? Are you trying to play in the NFL? And I'm like, listen, I'm five foot two, 130 pounds. (laughs) I would never play pro football against men. I'm not crazy. And then, you know, it's kind of like, well, God doesn't like never. And the situation presented itself. And I was crazy enough to believe that entering the world of men's pro football could change things for all of the women who I loved so much. Mm. And so, I mean, even when I was playing, like, you know, the guys and I became really close and, Oh, we were talking and they'd be like, "Oh, you're like our million-dollar baby." And I was like, "Hey, you big jerk. Maybe <laughs> can my movie go better than that one? Like could we, you know, could could we be a little bit different, right? Like defying the odds and all of that stuff." And they're like, "Well, you know what I mean." And I'm like, "I know that I know that that's a possibility here, mm-hmm. right? That you know, I could get hit and never get back up, but let's let's hope that there's a different narrative to this story."
0: Yeah, seriously. So now, obviously, that's definitely a fear. Did you have any other fears about being specifically the first woman to kind of break those kind of barriers in football?
1: Yeah, I always say the opportunity and responsibility of being first is to ensure you're not the last, mm. right? You know, what's hard in those scenarios is that the narrative isn't your own, right? It wasn't like people were saying, oh, my gosh, can Jen Welter do this? People were saying, can a woman do this. And so that's really the weight is that your goal is to not give them any reason to close the door after you. Mm. And that's the, you know, those are the stakes of being the first because it's not like they can look at all of the women who have done something and say, oh, well, you know, they all did really well, but she didn't. So it's okay. It's just, you know, one example, right? And we would see that in so many areas, right? Like, the conversation isn't normally could a woman do this it's can she do this right mm-hmm. like can this person you know can this particular person do that and yet being the first like all of those questions are being evaluated in how you do and you are setting the standard for better or for worse
0: how did you how did you handle those fears like how did you face that each day when you were going to go play by not allowing that to be at the
1: forefront of your mind and everything mm-hmm. that you do so you know It's kind of like if you pay all your attention to that stuff, then it will come true, Mm -hmm. right? Like, because if I'm so focused on the bigger picture, then I'm forgetting what's right here. And for any of us, what matters is the power in the moment. And that's, you know, focusing on what's in your control. And what's in your control is what you do on a day to day basis. And the media can say whatever they want. They can run with whatever narrative they want. You can't control that. So you can't live and die by that either. You have to put your head down and do work because if you don't do the work, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, you didn't do the work, and then it doesn't work out the way that you hoped it would.
0: Mm-hmm. And kind of shifting to the coaching side, what would you say was the biggest challenge that you faced when you became the first female coach in the NFL?
1: You know, I think looking at it
0: now, it's probably different
1: than what I would have told you then. Mm. A lot of people assume the challenges would be the players. The players are not the challenge. They want to get better. If you can make them better, they'll listen. The players were probably the easiest part, and I love them for that, right? We, great relationships to this day because of it. And those guys were all really proud to be a part of history. I think the hardest part becomes, you know, people don't really have a plan for you. You don't fit into necessarily their view of things or their view of the world. And you don't have the same network that maybe a guy would have, right? You know, it becomes the same challenge of how you get there in the first place, right? Like, Is there somebody that they can call and be like, hey, did you guys play together? Did you coach together? Do the players like her? I had that from arena football, right? And so that opened the door. But then when you get in, coaching staffs shift quickly. And I didn't have the same natural players network that the guys did. Meaning all of my buddies who I played college football with or played NFL football with were spread about the league and I could pick up the phone and know who to talk to, what to do, what were the best moves. I was really kind of drop kicked to the world and and nobody really knew, you know, what to do with me. There wasn't a manager, agent, um, a support system, or even like a a real developed coaching tree to be able to say, hey try this or talk to this person or go here mm. and now they have some of those things in place for the women that are there and i think that's tremendous but for me those things didn't exist and if i could go back and change it well you can't really change what you don't know but that part is really hard you know there wasn't a team of people that said you know this would be a great next step for you i dealt with You know, there were a lot of people who were not happy with a woman kind of breaking into that boys club. So I did have stalkers. I got death threats. I had a lot of really tough stuff. I had money stolen from me through some contract stuff. And there was nobody there to protect me. And I think those things are really tough because I also didn't want you know, at that time to really talk about any of those things or give confirmation because my thought was that those things could be used as a reason why women shouldn't get these opportunities, right? Right. Like, oh, well, that's why a woman couldn't coach in the NFL. Well, it had nothing to do with a woman, right? It had everything to do with there are bad people and there are people who are not for change, but I didn't want... Any of my negative experiences to maybe taint how people thought of women in that, even though they weren't directly related to the games or the teams or, you know, any of the specific football stuff, Mm -hmm. I would not have been okay if like, for example, having a lawsuit or something like that from the person who stole money. I didn't want that to be like, oh, well, this is why a woman could coach in the NFL, right? right? Like all of those bigger narratives that I thought could negatively impact someone else, I kept them to myself. So it then became, you know, it becomes challenging. And maybe there are things that I could have done better from a longevity standpoint if I'd have had more guidance.
0: And it sounds like now there is maybe some more guidance since there are more women coaches in the NFL who followed in your footsteps.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, they actually, I think it was 2016, they hired Sam Rappaport to develop a pipeline for women in coaching. That's awesome. And so that meant that there is a person there to, you know, have conversations with teams, look to who would be open to these things and these conversations and hopefully guidance. Um, And time does that too, right? Like whether it's a manager or an agent or a press person who then, you know, has been primed for the conversation and would be willing and able to maybe work with some of the women who who came after. And so I, I definitely do think that there is more intentionality to, to those things.
0: And now one of your, your next steps after coaching was to start Gridiron Girls. Um, can, you, can you tell me a little bit more or tell our listeners a little bit more about what Gridiron Girls is?
1: Yeah, so uh, one of the things that really stood out to me when I was in the NFL was how much outreach I got from girls and women who said, thank you for letting me know I wasn't wrong for loving football. Because at that time, a girl or a woman in football tended to be the exception to the rule. Was she one girl playing on a boys team, right? Or did she love the game, but the the game didn't have a place for her. Mm -hmm. Right. And not that there weren't great women playing women's football, but they weren't visible. Right. And so I used to say, like, when I played women's football, we were the best kept secret in sports. We just didn't want to be a secret anymore. Right. So the women who could have answered and supported those girls who felt like outsiders were also, you know, minimized in terms of the exposure that people had to them. So by all of the sudden being thrust into one of the largest spotlights in sports, girls and women could see somebody in a different light and they could see themselves in that light. And it made me really conscious of the fact that there wasn't anything on a national scale that was really specifically geared towards girls in football. There were some great programs in like different areas regionally. Like I grew up in Florida and Florida was the first state to have flag football as a varsity sport in high school. But that wasn't national. Right. And so. What I realized is we needed to do something on a national scale. And yet when I had those conversations about it, people were like, oh, well, girls don't want to, you know, girls don't play football or they don't want to play football. Like, what, what, what do you mean? <laughs> girls have never had the opportunity to decide right. if they wanted to play football. And that's a different conversation. And so what I wanted to create was, as I say, like a place where, you know, girls weren't the exception to the rule. Mm -hmm. It was a place where they knew it was their time to rule. Mm. And so Gridiron Girls is confidence through football and teaching girls that there is no game they cannot play and no field they do not belong in or on. But we're going to give you a great football experience where you get to learn the fundamentals. And those fundamentals show you that, ability in football is coachable. It's not you throw like a girl or throw like a boy. No, you either throw a football like you've been taught or you haven't. Gender is only a factor in that it's an intervening variable that has allowed you or allowed society to not socialize you to teach you these things. Mm. So we can teach them to you. And guess what? If that's your one football day and you decide, meh, this game's not really for me. That's okay. But they don't get to tell you that. And if in this experience you learn, oh man, I, you know, I'm kind of good at this. Like I, I caught a lot of passes or I have a great arm or, you know, I really love defense and I want to play further. That's great too. You'll know that you're not going into whether it's a co-ed situation or another girl's situation at a disadvantage, right? You have a foundation where you know the basics and now you're going to build on those, but you're going to start from a place of confidence. And so, you know, we announced that we were going to do a national tour, which is still funny to me (laughs) um, because we had no sponsors and no backing. But I knew it had to be national because otherwise they could just say, oh, well, that only worked because, for example, you were in Florida and they like football in Florida, Mm. right? So we announced this national tour and our goal was to do 12 camps in the first year. And we ended up with think it was 18 or 19. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we got, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did. They were the first NFL team to do one of our camps. And then we picked up Adidas as a sponsor. Oh, cool. They've really, yeah, they really changed everything for us. And I actually met them through a different program I designed. I think program design is a really good way to help kids learn. Mm. And so Adidas came in and then Adidas actually signed me as their first Female, you know, football athlete. That's awesome. Yeah. And part of that was the growth of the Gridiron Girls program. So we've had just a great growth trajectory through that and shown a whole lot of people something different. And, you know, I have girls now who will send me messages that started with us like three years ago and they're still balling out. And I had another girl who, you know, she was. At our camp in Liberty City in Miami, and she's now signed to go to play for St. Thomas University in the first class of athletes who can play varsity collegiate flag football. Oh, wow. Yeah, because the NAIA announced that flag football would have its first varsity season in 2021. So we have girls now who can change... The trajectory of their life through the game of football. And that to me is something that guys have had for a really long time. And so it's a beautiful thing to see these girls being able to extend their education because of the sport of football.
0: That's so cool. I've watched some of the videos that you have of some of the camps online, and they are, it's just so cool to watch these girls just unleash like what's inside that Mm they have kind of been tamping down because, you know, if you're a girl, you're supposed to be cute and quiet. And one of the clips that I watched was you being like, this is it. This is your time to be loud. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's (laughs) awesome. I love that. Right, it is. And
1: I love football as a sport for that because they call it the final frontier for women in sports. Mm -hmm. And that was always a call to action to me and a challenge, Mm -hmm. right? If this is the final frontier, then
0: when we win here, there's nothing that we can't do. I love it. Yeah. So, as if a career in in football and starting an organization to empower girls isn't enough, you're also a published author. So, so can you tell me uh, or tell us a little bit more about your Critter Fitter books? Yeah, so I'm actually now a I guess a five time
1: published author. Nice. The first book that I published came out in 2017, and that was Play Big, which is kind of you know a story of my life, and it is empowerment through football. Hopefully, some good lessons that can translate to anybody who wants to overcome. Mm. And so, you know, that was an interesting path in and of itself. And then in the pandemic- one of my really good friends and I, Brooke Foley, we created the Critter Fitter series, which I've authored all of the books. We have four out right now. And it's critter fitter because it's literally using critters to get kids fitter. That's how you know I'm from the South because we have <laughs> nice. critters there. Right. But it they are all rhyme books because rhymes help kids learn. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a reward in finishing each sentence. And so for kids that are having troubles tracking, you know, rhymes are really good for that. And so we use the critters to move kids through motion and emotion. So our first book that I wrote was Critter Fitter with Busy Bee and Adventure and Movement. Mm -hmm. And that has like animal based exercises. So it's, it's giggles and wiggles. It's a 20 minute workout that you know starts with a dynamic warm up and then goes through to literally we ruffled an owl's feathers so now we're going to ruffle together so all like animal inspired movements and then a cool down because um, that was the first problem the pandemic presented was kids were going crazy stuck inside. Right. And then the next book was When a Ladybug Can't Hug. And that one was about how kids could connect through the heart while staying six feet apart. Aw. Yeah. And so, you know, because it's weird to not be able to hug your friends. It is. Right? And yeah. so it's weird for not only the the littlest, but the little kid and all of us. The third book we wrote, which is the one that's gotten probably the most love and attention is wearing a mask says, I love you because the mask needed a hero story. Uh, it's weird to think like, you know, I'm going to spend all my time outdoors with a mask on and yet it's how we can all help each other and show love for other people. Mm-hmm. So the mask needed a hero story. And that book also goes through all of the CDC guidelines to give kids a way to be a proactive, positive part of the solution. To defeat the invisible enemy COVID nineteen, nice, <laughs> and really make it approachable for them. It's things like okay, you hear in the news like ooh, asymptomatic transmission, bah. Okay, that sounds really big with those words. Or it could be the virus hops from bug to bug really quick, and bugs can pass it without even feeling sick. Nice it becomes super easy both for you know the little kids and the parents that are reading it. Um, And we have had a lot of parents that are like, wow, I didn't even think about that. Or I didn't know that. And I'm like, yep, that's why. Because, you know, thankfully with kids books, generally you have a a parent reading them with the kids. And hopefully what happens is the kids become, you know, the movers. Kids are simple. They like to be coached. They want to, for example, be able to go see their friends. So if that means I got to wash my hands 87 times a day, wear a mask and like do these other things. I'm going to do it.
0: Right. Unlike
1: adults who are like, oh, well, it's my personal liberty. They're like, listen, personally, I want to see my friends. <laughs> right. And by the way, they will remind the adults because they they can and will follow rules. So it'll be like, um, put your mask on, you know, be a part of the ant army. Hello. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. And then the fourth book is called The Resilience, um, and that is an ant-filled adventure where characters like Brilliant defeats the virus's invisibility because it's hard to fight what you cannot see. So Brilliant comes up with testing. You have Distant, who keeps six feet in between And we teach kids about places like quarantine (laughs) and things like antibodies. I really had no idea how many ant words there were (laughs) until I went down this rabbit hole. Um, But it's a great way to teach the kids messages, but also to teach them vocabulary. Because though they become ant characters, like anticipate and Vigilant, mm-hmm. you know, Vigilant dots every I and crosses every T. The words are used correctly, and it's also a really good way to teach them spelling because the ants are in there and it's emphasized. So if you ever go back and and wonder if it's an ENT or an ANT, nah, you got it. We already, we already taught you with the ants in there.
0: Nice. And so now are those available like on Amazon? Or- they are. We self-published on Amazon
1: because a publisher who I now lovingly call Dinosaur Dan – <laughs> Dinosaur Dan told me that if we if we went really fast, he could have the book out in a year, or the books out in a year. And I was like, "Yo, bro, I hope this book is irrelevant in a year, right? Right? Like, I hope it's balancing coffee tables. Like, people need this right now, and so that is why we we went with self publishing. So you can go right on your Amazon Prime account and have it to your your house in a couple of days.
0: Nice." Do you feel like you have any like, specific habits that have helped you to be successful in, in either football or, or in publishing? You know, I think it's
1: really being a curious mind and believing in the importance of voice. You know, my coaching style is about breaking things down, making it approachable, and making it really personal. I say, like, I'm the queen of the the strong pull aside, right? Where it'd be like, hey, next time, try this, blah blah blah, right? And making it something that the players would absorb. Same thing with, you know, the development of relationships and the publishing of books. It's it's about communication in ways that we can we can be in the world. So I think, I think that believing in voice and how we communicate then impacts a whole lot of things in terms of habits, you know, that more people would probably like think of, you know, my life has been very eclectic and I think that that can be a strength when you use it that way. But I really do have a love of people and a fascination for communication and culture. And so that's been a lot of how I approached situations. I didn't start out to be a coach. I got my master's and PhD in psychology, because I thought if I could take my practical experience as a player and merge it with that education, I would be a unique value proposition to the sport. Mm -hmm. And so for me, then it was like, okay, I can take these things and put them together. And so that same eclectic nature was actually what made me good as a coach or as a writer or looking at these situations differently.
0: What's one piece of advice that you have for women who are also trying to break barriers in sports? You know, find those
1: ways that you can become a unique value proposition, right? Like I'll give you an example of after I finished my master's, I was getting referred some clients for draft prep, right? Like they were doing combine and draft. And what I realized is that I had a blind spot In how I could break things down to the guys because I had never gone through the combine draft process, right? We didn't do the same things in women's football, right? And so how players would be evaluated from a scouting reports perspective, I didn't have experience in it. Or knowledge of it through my master's. So I sought out a class on football scouting and general management. Now I didn't at that time want to be a scout or a general manager, but I wanted to understand the process to be great for my clients. Mm. Right? So I learned about player evaluation and, you know, funny enough, that resurfaced later in my career when I was asked to coach and evaluate players, I already knew it. And so it's like, if you have a desire to be great in this sport or this area, being eclectic and multi faceted will help you because you'll understand things from a broader perspective. And then you're allowed to kind of narrow down once you get in the door and say, well, this is, you know, for me, I didn't necessarily want to be a scout, but I understood the scouting process. So I could speak the language and be a good bridge, even if it wasn't my defined role. And I think too often we think of expertise as just being laser focused and yet being able to liaise between different elements is a a talent in and of itself. So look at what it is that you want to do and find ways that you can develop elements of yourself and in the process, develop allies in your path because you don't necessarily know how they're going to circle around or who you're going to meet. But if you're limited, so will your reach and your contacts. You might in developing, you know, one element of self meet somebody who could open a door because they now know you and know how you work. And that networking part is very important. So the more inroads you can create, you want to do that. And that should also include whether it's volunteering or going to events and networking and doing those things. Like don't close it off, open it up because you can always later say, yes, I can do that, but that's not what I wanna do. If you don't know how to do it or the language that they speak, that has closed that opportunity for you.
0: No, I think that's really great advice. Do you have any advice for parents of girls in sports? Yes, teach them to be good right it's funny
1: but we often approach our girls in sports differently than we do our boys in terms of that we we don't teach them the life lessons of like winning and competition Socialization is important and the social aspect for girls is huge, right? Um, a lot of the times they want to do stuff with their friends, so don't ignore that. But also allow them to be proud when they score a touchdown and to highlight themselves because one of the things that they've found is those, those lessons on winning and highlighting themselves and doing all those things do translate into other areas of life later, such as business and boardrooms and being competitive at your job and being proud of your work and all of those things. So be intentional with your kids through sports and also don't be afraid to translate experiences. Yes, it is very true that sports have a power to shape personalities and culture and teach lessons, but that doesn't mean that they can't benefit from a good narrator as well.
0: Gotcha. And where can listeners find you and your, we talked about your books on um, there on Amazon, but where can we find you and more information about the Gridiron Girls online? So my website is really simple. JenWelter.com.
1: I'm on Twitter at JWelter47. Instagram Welter47. There is also a Gridiron Girls Instagram, and then I think it's Dr. Jen Welter on Facebook. So. I try to be as accessible socially as possible. And for anybody who's interested, Gridiron Girls is still a movement that needs help and supporters and champions. So we are a product of the grassroots community that we serve. So we do need people who, who want to get involved um, and to help grow because it is still mostly me doing it so Mm. though it has had a big impact I always say my biggest frustration is that it's limited by me as well so there's a lot of good that can be done in the world and we are all certainly better together than we are apart
0: well said well thank you so much for coming on the show today Dr. Walter. absolutely thank you for having me I was so excited, you guys, to get the chance to interview Dr. Jen Welter. She's such an inspiration, and I really felt that she made so many great points in the interview that it actually made it difficult to decide what to highlight here. So I, I finally narrowed it down to two things that really resonated the most with me. And the first one is where she talked about making sure that if you're the first woman to do something, then you should make sure that you're not the last. This is pretty huge. If you've ever been the only woman in a room full of men at work or in other areas of your life, then you'll know what Dr. Jen Walter means. For her, it was being the only woman on a professional football team and then being the first woman to coach in the NFL. And as much as it sucks that she had to pave the way and go through the crappy parts of being the first, she also recognized that maybe she could take her experiences and use them to help other women who wanted to play or coach football to have a better experience than she did. I think this also segs into another big point that we didn't touch on during this interview, and that's just because there is another woman who wants to do the same thing that we've done that doesn't make them our competition, right? So for some reason, it's been kind of drilled into us that as a woman, you're automatically competing against any other women in your field, as opposed to competing against the men and the women in your field. There's this sort of automatic pairing process where women are pitted against women and men against men. Even Hollywood helps us maintain this like against like mentality, right? For most like 80s and 90s movies, whenever there was a badass female protagonist, there's always another woman that's a bad guy who you just know that the female protagonist is going to end up fighting at the end. And okay, yes, it might be because men find it sexy to watch like two women fighting or whatever, but this kind of thing seems to really stick with us. At least I know it stuck with me. And when we're presented with a real world situation where it's just us and one other woman in a room full of men, we fall into the mentality that she is our only competition. The thing is, there's no reason for these women to be our competition. As Dr. Welter said, it's important that you leave the door open for other women. I also think that means reaching back and helping other women up behind you. There's actually a term that I've been hearing a lot in the indie author world that kind of goes along with this, I feel, and that is the word coopetition. According to the Oxford Dictionary, it's collaboration between business competitors in the hope of mutually beneficial results. As a real world example, I might technically be competing against other writers in my urban fantasy genre or other podcasters who talk about similar subjects, but I can still collaborate with those other writers on a genre-specific box set to reach more readers or do cross promotions with other podcasters to connect with more listeners. Now, the argument here is that readers don't just buy one book, and podcast listeners usually have more than one podcast that they enjoy, right? So I don't have to compete directly with those other authors and listeners. In a situation where you might truly be competing with another woman for, let's say, a job or a promotion, I still think coopetition is possible. You can collaborate with other women job seekers to help each other find great opportunities. After all, you're each only going to take one job. So, sharing information, tips, or pointers about the company is still mutually beneficial, right? After all, if the other woman gets the job, she still might be able to put in a good word for you when you apply for future positions at that company. Or maybe she's heard about an opening at another company and tells you about it because you helped her out in landing her current job. And yes, I know that some of you may be thinking that there are backstabbers out there who will take advantage of you and not give any help in return for your support. But personally, I would rather help somebody out and not receive reciprocation than to decide to only look out for myself and not ever help anybody else. But if you help somebody and they burn you, I do feel that you are not under any obligation to help them in the future. Ooh, okay, so, so that went a little sideways. But I definitely think that Dr. Welter was on point when she said that if you have the opportunity to help others achieve what you have, then you should do it. The other point that Dr. Walter made that really resonated with me was when she said that living an eclectic life had really helped her thrive. Listeners, I feel this down to my very bones. I know our society tends to have this sort of like push for us to be experts in something and only focus on one thing, right? But I have most definitely found that branching out and following where my curiosity and interests lead me have helped me live a much happier and more fulfilled life. As a 36-year-old woman who has had 28 jobs, I can tell you what I truly enjoy in a role and also what I do not want to do in future positions, right? So those many different jobs have really helped me to figure out what works for me and what doesn't. And taking a variety of elective courses in undergrad showed me how far my curiosity went in different subjects and whether I should pursue those areas of interest or if they weren't quite as interesting as I thought. The thing is, branching out and pursuing new things can be scary. It takes you out of your comfort zone. You might be jumping into things where you're a total beginner or know nothing about the subject matter. For some of us, that's exciting. And for others, it can be really uncomfortable. It's much less scary to stick to our field of expertise, but we might miss out on learning something amazing about our own abilities or having a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience or creating something fantastic if we don't step outside our comfort zone. And as Dr. Welter said, having that eclectic background and being willing to learn new things was something that she was able to actually apply to her role as a coach. This absolutely goes along with the go find out mentality. Even if what you try doesn't end up working out for you or you find that you don't like it as much as you thought you would, there are lessons that you'll always take away from that kind of experience and that you'll be able to apply to other areas of your life. Okay, that was a long one today, listeners. I hope that you enjoyed today's interview with Dr. Jen Welter. Definitely check out her Critter Fitter books because they are super cute and I feel like they're really helpful for kids right now. I dropped some links to her books in the show notes if you want to check check those out. Next week, I'll be interviewing Natalie Benamu about her experience of starting HP2 Mastermind, which is a community for women executive leaders and female entrepreneurs. Until then, go find out. Thanks for listening to the show today. I hope you found the information beneficial and that it helps you tackle your own go find out goals. You can find more episodes and the show transcripts at gofindoutpodcast.com. You can also let me know what you thought of the show by tweeting me at GFO Podcast or follow me on Instagram at GoFindOutPodcast. That's it for today. Now go find out.